Make sure to check out episode 58, where we speak to a dragon about the future of international trade. So make sure you join Nicole from OMX and the Two Babes on episode 58. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Hello, and welcome back to Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we talk to amazing guests about their experiences, their expertise, and everything new and exciting in the industry. Today, we have Adrian Mutton, the CEO and founder of Sanam S4, and why now is a good time to invest in India. Plus, I'm going to get some details about the recent and the impact of the recent visit to China um, that President Trump just made and how it will affect trade. So Adrian's international experience began with launching his first business in India in 1993 and has worked in the country since then and lived in the subcontinent for a total of 11 years. Through leading the international expansion of a fast growth tech company in the late 1990s and early 2000s, Adrian also developed a first-hand understanding of doing business in China, South Africa, Taiwan, Singapore, and the UAE, among other markets. Serving clients from around the world, Adrian has been active both in establishing international sales and support offices, as well as implementing local development and manufacturing facilities. In 2015, following an engagement with U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry in India, he was invited by the U.S.-India Business Council to join President Obama and Prime Minister Modi's U.S.-India Business Summit in New Delhi. Inputs he provided were tabled for discussion in the historic U.S.-India CEO forum that followed. Based on Sanam S4's success in India, Adrian has led the expansion of the business model into China, Brazil, and the UAE and is driving the strong growth and ongoing success of Sanam S4 and the U.S. business centers internationally. Wow, that is quite an introduction and I want to welcome Adrian to the show. Thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. Very good to hear from you. All right, so let's get right into the interview. Why don't you tell us about Sanam S4? How did you come up with the name, and what do you, what exactly do you do? So uh, the company is coming into its uh, its ninth year. Uh, we established in 2008, and the principle behind the business was really to uh, enable small and medium-sized, globally globally ambitious companies to have uh, a reliable partner to deliver uh, end-to-end services as they're expanding overseas. Um, my own personal background, as you highlighted, goes back 25 years in. India and uh, recognized both the growth opportunity um, as India uh, implemented a number of economic reforms, but also the challenges that companies were going to face as they moved into the market. So in setting up the company, I was looking for a brand that was omnipresent in India, an active ingredient uh, to to the success of a particular recipe. And Sanam S4 actually uh, is the name of India's main red chili 
daily variety and uh, I felt that it was uh, an equal part of the success of India's cooking recipe just as in the way that Salamis 4 is for any international business's success as they enter the market. I love that. I love that. So it's named after a chili. Correct. Absolutely. Great. Okay. So I spoke about a recent trip that President Trump just did to China. And um, can you tell us a little bit about that visit, what the impact is going to have on trade? Yeah, I think if you if you take a step back from the um, president's visit to China and just look at the uh, broader agenda that this new administration is seeking to achieve, it's very much focused on addressing balance of payments deficits with um, trading partners around the world. So key markets where U.S. has a, an enormous deficit include Mexico, uh, China, Japan. Uh, Korea, South Korea, um, and others. But in China, there is a particularly stark uh, deficit, and that's because, of course, the U.S. consumer is buying so many different products manufactured in China itself. And I think the president's approach to international trade is, look, we have a, 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 a client base here in the U.S. that is buying from you willingly. Um, we are investing in um, China's success. We're enabling you to develop your economy, to raise the income levels of individuals in your country. And the fact is, we are your biggest customer in the world. The U.S. is by far and away China's biggest customer. And therefore, we want a little bit more parity in the relationship. So whilst we're not expecting you to buy any more um, automobile uh, equipment or defense equipment or manufacturing equipment or food, drink, uh, and, and, and agricultural products, all of the things that China is, of course, consuming at great rates and importing from other markets in the world, the U.S. administration now is seeking that a greater proportion of those are bought from the United States. And one particular um, trade deal that you saw announced on the back of his visit was around energy. China buys you know, a large amount of energy that it imports into the country every year, and it has a choice of where it buys that energy from. And I think the approach that President Trump has taken is, look, yeah, we want you to carve out a bit more of that spend on buying U.S. energy. And as a result of um, forcing China's hand a little bit in doing so, they create, obviously, a much greater export potential from the U.S., and that has a downstream effect with the small and medium-sized suppliers that will feed into these U.S. energy companies. So uh, I think it's a, it, it's, it's a fair and realistic approach. Of course, a lot of this discussion has been taken away by the media and caught up in um, the way that the messaging is being delivered. But the, 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 the underlying uh, purpose of his trip was to say to China, we know you buy X amount of these goods and services from the world. We just want a bigger shot at uh, those goods and services um, from the U.S. As, as, as your biggest customer for your products. And how do you think that that uh, ended? I mean, do you think that he's going to be successful in that? or? 
Yeah, I think I think it's it's pretty easy to have success because when China um, knows that you are its biggest customer, and if you put it into any trading relationship, if your biggest customer picks the phone up to you and says, "I'm really not happy with you," um, as, as a uh, you know as a partner to them, you take note of that. And so I think it's easy enough for China to move the dial back in America's favour. Um, there will be other countries that you know are um, you know are, are not going to benefit from that equation. So companies like the UK or Germany or Russia or other markets where China are buying products or services or energy from um, will have some of the spend that is going there well currently diverted towards US goods and services. So I think yes, um, you know he'll, he'll, he'll absolutely have a successful outcome on it, and you will see over time China buying more products, goods, services, and energy from the United States. Um, so I, th I don't think it's going to be too difficult for him to, to, to show success, what that looks like longer term. Um, you know, time will tell. Absolutely. All right, so let's get into why India. So why does Asia matter for America? I mean, you just spoke about a few different reasons, obviously from the recent visit uh, to China. But even more, why India? Well, I think India has been an, an underperforming economy for, for many, many years. Uh, China, of course, implemented its reforms 20-plus years uh, ahead of India, and it wasn't until 1992 going into 1993 that uh, India implemented um, the full effect of its reforms under then Finance Minister Manaman Singh. And you've got two equally large populous nations. Um, the India population now being uh, just over 1.3 billion. And um, I think India's made consistent attempts to uh, accelerate its economy and to, to raise income levels across the country. And that's happened in, in fits and starts. And um, under the now Prime Minister Modi, I think they've got the best example of a, a, of a much needed CEO for the country, someone who understands the needs of, of attracting foreign investment, someone who n understands the needs of um, wealth creation for social cohesion, and someone who recognizes that there is strong global willingness uh, from the international co community uh, to see India succeed, particularly as a, as a counterweight to to China. Now, the, 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 the reason that the, the Asia, wider Asian economy is so important to China is a because so much of America's goods and services are bought from um, from, from from America, and um, you know they, these are high growth markets. You know the, the the Asian market has consistently outperformed Latin America. It's consistently outperformed Africa, and it's consistently outperformed Europe in recent years. So there's no doubt there's a concentration of economic growth. Uh, that the, the potential is much greater within the Asia block. Um, and then when you bring that down to, to India's level, uh, India has the largest um, single and greatest opportunity to become a world economic uh, superpower. And America very, very clearly realizes that and sees it both as an opportunity of having a uh, strong strategic uh, partner for, for defense regions and geo uh, stability in the region, one, but 
secondly, he sees it as a, as a great opportunity of spurring growth for American goods and services in the way that, uh, that, that, that China has consumed a lot of America's um, products, goods and services, and will continue to do so. And so India's been growing consistently, um, positively over the last five to ten years. Um, it's going through a period now of implementing some, some pretty strong and aggressive reforms, which it's able to do because Prime Minister Modi has, I think, up to an 83% um, approval rating at the moment, which is uh, you know pretty much unheard of in a, in a democratic society. Um, but it's enabling him to take tough decisions, which, whilst in the short term are uh, impacting uh, business as usual GDP growth, are certainly setting it up for tremendous success. And of India's 1.3 billion people, uh, you have a considerable number of that population under the age of 25, and they are going to be uh, the demographic dividend for India and, and, and be a, a real engine of growth for um, wealth creation as well as um, uh, providing productivity um, in, in manufacturing and services space. Absolutely. Okay, so you've talked a little bit about the growth in trade uh, between the USA and India. What is, you, you've talked a little bit about what's driving that. What are we looking at as far as sectors? You know, where are we seeing the growth? Um, is it in products? Is it in services? What, what kind of that, what, what does that look like and why? Yeah, the, 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 the good news from those that are exporting into India is that pretty much everything needs fixing and modernizing. Um, so it's not like you're going into a mature market where you'd walk down the high street and you say, well, you know, where's the growth? Um, if, you, if you stand on the street corner um, of an intersection in Mumbai or Bangalore or Delhi, you will, of course, now see modern infrastructure. You'll see high-rise buildings. You'll see international um, car brands like Mercedes and Ford and uh, BMW drive past you. But you will also see the need for tremendous and continued investment in infrastructure. So around the roads, around traffic systems, around um, communications technology. Um, with India's rising growth and growing population, um, you you're seeing tremendous needs for improved healthcare, um, both at the hospital level, um, the GP level, and of course then the medical technology, um, uh, uh, medical technology support that goes around that. Uh, so medtech is a is a big area, healthcare is a big area, and the expertise um, uh, for, for India in that space is is still um, is still lacking. Um, so those are two big big sectors infrastructure and, uh, and med tech um, wrapped around the healthcare space and then uh, education is another really big growth opportunity for uh, the US-India relationship um, last year India contributed five billion dollars of um, income to the US economy on Indian students uh, coming to the US to study alone so if you think that five billion dollars is a fraction of India's um, uh, higher education enrollment space you can start to compute some you know even more considerable numbers where US 
educational institutions can leverage their expertise and know-how uh, both here in the U.S. to attract more Indian students, but you know potentially longer term being more actively involved on the ground in India. So education is certainly a big space, fast growing, and with the young population in India is one that that still has um, considerable untapped potential. Uh, and then I think there are areas around the agricultural space where modernisation is um, absolutely paramount to India's ability to feed its growing population uh, effectively. There's a, a considerable lack of investment in coal chain um, and supply chain management um, systems and infrastructure in India and um, there's, there's you know, a huge opportunity for, for, for North Americans to extend their expertise into that journey. So you know, if you kind of summarize those those ones, and there are others, but you know, agriculture, medtech, healthcare, education, and infrastructure, those would be all sectors that are growing uh, and growing very aggressively in India, and one where uh, companies in North America have a, um, a particularly strong role to play in their um, in their ongoing growth. Yeah, I want to come back to the investment part of it, um, especially with the $5 billion in education. I mean, that is, that's just amazing, and I'm sure that's just a portion. But before I go there, so if there's any companies that are listening to this, you know, that are in some of these sectors, where would they start? Now, I know India is not... Um, I mean, there's got to be some market research and, and stuff like that done to be able to enter that market, um, especially since there are some modernization issues, there's some infrastructure issues, communication, stuff like that. But what would be the best advice that you would give to a company in these sectors to really take a look at the market and for them to take advantage of it? Yeah, I think um, you know India sees a lot of international trade missions uh, put together. So um, in the US, you'll have um, Department of Commerce will pull together uh, trade missions. Canada has the their equivalent uh, with the Canadian Trade Authorities and so on. And these are all good platforms for companies to go out in a fairly well structured, protected environment to give them a kind of look see of the market. Um, a lot of the market research that people would have typically done a number of years ago, um, you know, these days is readily available online and, and, and good old uh, Google kind of can help um, people frame market opportunities. I think where people need to focus these days is on actually identifying the specific routes to market, channel partners, whether they be distributors, resellers, wholesalers, and engaging directly with them face-to-face -face when they get out into the market talking to them specifically about their their goods or services and uh, yeah, really understanding what it's going to take to get those products um, landed uh, in the market and uh, effectively sold. So going beyond the kind of traditional toe in the water to a more direct engagement, um, you know, is a, is a much more um, uh, appropriate approach these days. There are a lot of companies looking at markets like India the ones that succeed are the ones that make that additional effort to, to, to get to the coal face and then back it up with some kind of 
local presence, whether that's you know their own office or you know establishing a kind of uh, proxy office locally through a launchpad type model um, along the lines of um, you know what we and many others do. So uh, you know certainly the opportunity that one sees um, is is fairly easy and tangible to to, to grasp, but making the next steps and engaging and continuing that engagement is key. Yeah, I definitely agree. Can your company help with that? Uh, help a company yeah. get to the market or do a yeah. portion of that? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's exactly what, what we're in business to do. Um, you know, we're very much focused on um, helping people establish in the market. Um, they come to us as you know, a trusted partner who integrates a range of disciplines. So what uh, makes us unique, I guess, in the market is that, um, you know, we do we deliver all of the kind of key components that someone would need to, to, to be successful. So we help identify those channels to market. We, we get their products or their services presented in front of uh, potential buyers or potential partners and resellers. Uh, and then we support that company as they get those products or services sold into the market, whether that's through structuring local entities, making sure they're collecting their payments, making sure that they have got the right people on the ground. So we have about 300 organizations from around the world. Many of them are small um, but globally ambitious companies. Some of them are larger, some of them are multinationals uh, who come to us for a, for a kind of integrated approach to entering and then growing in the market. So you know, very much the business that we're in. And it's a fun space to be because we, 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 we get to see people walk into our office typically very nervous on, on day one. They, they sense there's an opportunity, but they've heard stories about corruption and about losing IP and about, you know, it taking forever to really gain a foothold in the market. And then we typically, first thing we do is refer them to a bunch of our other clients who they then go and speak to, get great comfort that actually success is feasible and, and possible and highly likely. And then they come back to us and as we build their plans out uh, and, and help them succeed over the years, it's, it's both very exciting and hugely rewarding for, for me and my team. I love that. I really love that. So what about on the liability and sort of the accounting side? Do you help with that or do you have um, companies that you can refer them to? Yeah, I mean, we do all of that in-house. I mean, part of the okay. model that we designed is really to make sure that, um, you know, we're in control of the the level of quality delivery that, that we're giving our clients. Um, in the early days, we did outsource, you know, some of those services, but just felt that really to deliver A, the best quality, B, deliver on time, and C, to be able to integrate um, a seamless model for our clients, we needed to bring in-house expertise. So we have about 100 40 people on the ground now in India across our four offices in Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore and Chennai and you know, we're, we're forecasting we'll be 190 people by the end of the year so we're going through a considerable growth um, phase but that's entirely based on you know, the increasing success of our client base and, 
and them just needing more and more support to um, pin their end growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I asked that question just because, you know, going into a new market, new market like India, you know, just the liability and, and legal aspects being, you know, a, a North American company or even a European com- company, just wondering on that side. So let's get back into the investment. Now, you talked about India investing into the U.S. market on the education standpoint with $5 billion coming in uh, because of the students taking advantage, I guess, of the education system in the U.S. What has the investment been like in general between the two countries? You know, why is it a good time? We've talked about the, the sectors uh, to take a look at within India, but why is it a good time to invest particularly? Several reasons. One is uh, that, that the Indian economy is growing, growing positively. Um, last year, I think the, the GDP will you know, be around the 7% mark um, forecast for this year and going into next a 7.5%, yeah, perhaps upwards of 8 depending on whose um, statistics you rely on. Um, so there's a very strong growth base with which you're, you would be investing into. So it's not like you're into a story where it's plateauing or in decline and, and many people of course trying to divert sales out of the UK because of the Brexit situation. People are you know, not necessarily had the returns that they'd expected in Latin America and, and some of the other BRICs just haven't performed uh, in the way that people would have expected them to do. I think you'd be hard pressed to find any economic uh, analyst on the planet that doesn't agree that India's growth is going to continue at 7% plus for the next 5 to 10 years and will be the dominant high growth market for the next decade. And so when not only is the growth at that level, but you have the second most populous country and indeed uh, by 2025 it will be um, there will be more people in India than there will be in China. So you'll have a combination of the largest population in the world and the fastest growing major population in the world uh, and the youngest population in the world. So you put those three together and you know I think you've got your answer. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So just so our listeners know, um, you have graciously provided a free download on the, about this topic that goes way more into details and numbers and, and different things like that. So they can go and get that download at our website, twobabestalksupplychain.com. And so you talk about in that free download, you talk about a couple of examples. So I want to touch on some of those. One of them is Microsoft. One of them I think is WePro. Um, can you, can you talk about those examples? Can you, can you give those examples of corporate investment in India? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that um, they are good examples. I mean, Microsoft, of course, is um, you know has been a global company for many years, and uh, its investment in India has been considerable. I mean, they have um, you know an, an enormous workforce in the country there now, and uh, you know they're, they're both a combination of um, a net beneficiary of, of India's economic um, force and talented labour. 
labor force, particularly in the IT space. So as we know, a huge amount of Indian's um, uh, workforce in the services sectors are focused on IT, and, and American companies such as Microsoft have taken very, very good advantage of that. Um, but it's also an area of uh, a country for Microsoft now where you know, they're considering it a strong export market. So people are buying into Microsoft technology and solutions, and it's becoming a, um, a good sales market for them. And I think that's one of the trends that, not just with Microsoft, but with other companies that we're seeing who are setting up maybe back office uh, operations there or have back office operations. They're now realizing that actually their front-end technology or service or solution um, is of interest to, um, uh, to to the Indian consumer. So you're getting kind of, kind of double benefit there. So that's, that's a kind of recent trend which uh, is quite exciting and, and you know, a number of companies uh, in North America who have back offices there for development or you know sales or service support coming to us for now selling their, their technology and services in the market. Um, Wipro is, a, is, is an Indian-based business um, that's invested heavily in, in the U.S. Uh, of course, the whole conversation about visas is one that's very relevant um, these days to um, to people in kind of cross-border trade, investment, and education. And uh, Wipro, one of the examples who um, you know really made a, a big impact in um, uh, in in the U.S. You know, they've got offices in New Jersey, Georgia, Texas, Florida, Missouri, uh, and uh, you know really made a, a big impact on you know employment in in the United States. So it's not just about taking advantage of domestic um, labor force costs in, in India from their perspective. It's about fully integrated into the U.S. as a, uh, as, a, a, as, a as a company that um, you know is investing in, in the U.S.'s economic success as well. And then the third company that I would maybe give you an example of is is Amazon. Um, so you know we're all very familiar with Amazon's global growth. Um, in in 2014, they invested 2.6 billion dollars in India in um, setting up new infrastructure, and then uh, Jeff Bezos um, earlier this year pledged another three billion dollars, which they're now investing. So you know over a kind of four to five year period, Amazon will have invested over five billion dollars uh, in in India alone, and I think that's uh, yeah a really a strong endorsement for the longer term outlook that uh, that he sees that India. And then you're seeing others, people like Cisco under John Chambers' leadership, investing very, very considerably in the Indian market. And yeah, these are investments not just for the back office, not just for the for the, um, the lower cost development and service skills, but um, to be fully integrated into the economy and the consumer growth that uh, you know that these CEOs see they can uh, be part of in India. Absolutely, and, and especially with Amazon going in there, I mean, that's, you know, there's somebody to watch for sure. So if they're investing that kind of money over the next couple of years, I mean, you, you kind of know that <laughs> that's one of the areas to go to. So um, you talk about in the download uh, sharing sister relationships. What What is a sister relationship? What's the important of that, importance of that to international trade? 
Yeah, that's a very good question, Sarah. So I think one of the referring back to one of the questions that you asked, how do you engage in India in the first place? Where where do you first um, plant your flag? You know, you can now fly into many of India's cities uh, from from North America. Um, most of those kind of top 20 cities that you can fly into have got you know, vast populations, multi multi million uh, people populations, and so you can plant your flag in anything from you know Hyderabad and, and, and Bangalore uh, or Chennai in the south to Mumbai in the west and, and Delhi uh, in the north and you'd find yeah, a large and captive market on your doorstep what these sister, sister city or sister state relationships do is enable companies from either side of the relationship to at least engage with each other and start to develop a relationship Relationship which uh, has a longer-term meaning. So, yeah, we've been actively uh, supporting a new relationship that is developing uh, under Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard um, for Hawaii, um, who are looking at a partnership with with Goa, for example. And they have you know, very similar economic profiles, strong in, um, in tourism, of course, uh, in natural healthcare products. Um, there's a big military. Uh, particularly naval uh, aspect to both Goa and uh, uh, to Hawaii. Uh, and so what that enables, um, in this case, uh, Congresswoman Gabbard and Hawaii to do is to bring together expertise from her state to Goa and share best practice, share expertise. So, you know, now you can see as, as Goa's growing in the areas of tourism and sustainability and natural products. Um, Hawaii has, has got all of these in abundance and has got people from branding experts to product development to packaging to um, uh, particular source recipes to how do you run a world-class hotel destination and resort. You know, one of the architects that have built all these fantastic properties in uh, Hawaii, like how do you develop areas uh, and still main, maintain the beauty and, and, and the ecological sustainability of, of course which is key in these pristinely beautiful uh, destinations so yeah, that would be an example of one where there are obvious and clear synergies the companies come together under a, um, a an effective and um, well-managed platform and then at least it gives that first inroad for a company to see the opportunity and then say great I now recognize that I could be selling my architectural expertise in Goa or I could be helping companies develop my local coconut water brand or my, um, you know, my, my spa services or branding services or packaging in this particular area. And then hopefully companies like that find their way to us and, you know, we then take them on their, on their journey of success. Wow, I love that example. It just embodies the magic of international trade, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, there are some places that uh, have a little bit of added uh, cachet to them when you've got palm trees and um, pristine breaches ahead to, to fringe in the, the coastline. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's amazing when you look at a map and you look at the distance. And I've actually tried to plot a flight route between Hawaii and, uh, and Goa. It's an, you know, it's an awful long way 
um, between the two countries, the two states. But, you know, they're building a good relationship and a good bond, and, and no doubt will create new trade channels, which will will benefit you know people both on the ground um, in Hawaii, but also those uh, in India. So yeah, it's, it's it's really one of the kind of exciting and positive things about international trade. Yeah, and it just it's just a ripple effect to the opportunities and the companies that can come together to make that magic happen. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, well, before we wind down, let's uh, let's hear from you. You know, what's next for Sanam S4? Well, I mean, one thing that we've we've seen as a company is that once you have a model like ours that's fully integrated and, and gives our clients more time to spend with their um, target prospects uh, in the market, the demand for, for, for what we're doing has, has accelerated considerably. I mean, we're growing um, at a considerable rate at the moment. You know, company growth is, is well over 30% year on year. Um, and we're forecasting you know, similar numbers over the next two to three years. And what we're seeing now is, is um, our existing clients and new clients coming to us for um, new solutions. So they're looking for um, similar models to be implemented in other parts of the world. So we're doing a lot of work in Hong Kong, in Singapore. We've got projects going on at the moment with Japan and Taiwan. We've services in Indonesia, um, Peru, Colombia this year, here in the U.S. US, particularly for uh, European and particularly UK companies seeking to to take advantage of the US um, economy post Brexit. So really, the the model will remain consistent, and the service portfolio that we offer and have perfected in in India um, remains at the core uh, of our approach. But now for us, it's being able to deliver uh, you know, in more and more markets around the world with equal consistency and quality and uh, ensuring that we can add the value and um, the success that the clients are looking for us to support uh, for them in, in, in another territories. Well, I love it. And um, I'm excited to see where you guys are going and, and how you're going to do it and what countries or states that you bring together next. So if everybody um, wants to learn more about the company, please visit their website at S-A-N-N-A-M as in Mary, s4.com. If you want to connect with Adrian, he is on LinkedIn, so um, go ahead and uh, give him a connection. And again, we will have a free download all about this topic with more information, more numbers for you to take a look at on our website at twobabestalksupplychain.com. So make sure you check them out. Make sure you check out that free download. And Adrian, thank you so much. You've given our listeners a lot to think about and so much great information. So thanks for being on the show today. No, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you having me on and um, best wishes to all your listeners. Take care. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Bye. Next time on Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, we're talking to Andrea from eBay, all about using their platform to boost your business into new global markets. Thank you for listening, writing us a review, and being a part of the show's success. And remember, everybody, ship happens. Happens.